35, verse 1. We saw the transformation of Saul this morning from a persecutor to a preacher of Christ. And this evening, we're going to meditate on that theme of transformation from the Old Testament in our verse for meditation this evening, Isaiah 35, verse 1. We'll also uh, read verse 2 before we meditate on God doing four unlikely things in five unlikely places. Isaiah 35, starting in verse 1. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. God does four unlikely things in five unlikely places. First, the God of life animates the inanimate. He animates the inanimate. The wilderness is not a person. It's not an animal. It doesn't have a brain. It doesn't have feelings. It's a lifeless object. Nothing grows in the desert. This is a desert wilderness. It's a Middle Eastern wilderness. This is not an Alaskan wilderness. This is a desert wilderness. And yet, God says, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. It'll rejoice. Now, we are aware that this is a literary device at some level. It's personification. Isaiah is talking about the wilderness as if it were a person. Still, God can give the wilderness an ability that it does not have by nature. It's like in those aerial time-lapse videos from documentaries like the planet Earth. You hear David Attenborough's gravelly voice narrating the seasonal shifts as you see them from satellite footage over the Serengeti. It goes from brown to green as you see the rains fall and the rivers rise. God does that not just for a seasonal plain like the Serengeti, but for a desert like the Sahara. God needs no raw materials. He himself is the life that animates what was unable to animate itself. And he wants to encourage us with the truth of his power to give life and transformation to that which is inert and inanimate. We saw it this morning again in Saul turned from persecuted to preacher of Christ and we will eventually see it in the whole new heavens and the new earth. Vitalized afresh for our eternal enjoyment with God and Christ when Jesus comes back to make all things new. The wilderness and the dry land shall be made glad. What is unable to rejoice, that which has no faculty or capacity, no instrument or ability or nature to rejoice, will rejoice. But there's more. Second thing, second unlikely thing God does, the God of life brings the organic out of the sterile. He brings the organic out of the sterile. The desert shall rejoice. That's the 
inanimate becoming animated, but it will also blossom like the crocus. That's the organic coming out of the sterile. Blossoming is an organic process, but here that living process emerges from a sterile environment, the sand of a desert. The crocus, I didn't know what a crocus was. The crocus is a spring flower. I think it's a part of the iris family. I'm really glad Carrie James isn't here. She would probably be able to correct me. She'd probably nuance that a little bit. This crocus can be bright yellow or orange or deep purple or white. They are beautiful, very happy-looking, happiness-inducing flowers, and they have big petals. They're not little tiny things. They're big. God brings big, beautiful, organic materials out of inorganic, sterile environments. He brings the dynamic out of the static. So, sinner, Isaiah 35.1 is an invitation for you to pray to the God of all life to give you life where you are most sterile and most static. Your fight against sin, your consistency in the spiritual disciplines. God loves, God loves to replace our stagnation with a new dynamic from His Spirit. He loves that. He loves it when you feel dead And he kindles a desire in your heart for life. And you ask him to blow that into a flame. He loves that. That is the business he is in. And he wants to glorify himself in answering that prayer in your heart. The glory of the Lord is going to be revealed in these kinds of things in your life. He knows we need him to do these things, so he wants you to ask him to send his spirit to ignite your thoughts for him, to kindle your affections for him, and to drive your inclinations to obey what you learn. But there's more. Third unlikely thing that God does, he fills the emptiness. He fills the emptiness. If we extend our meditation into verse 2, we'll see that God is not just interested in producing one or two crocuses. Croci, I don't know what the plural of crocus is. God loves abundance. He loves not just producing one flower or two flowers in the wilderness, but thousands of them. He likes to do great things in great quantities, The desert will blossom, notice, not pathetically. Aren't you glad it doesn't say that? It doesn't just say, the desert will kind of blossom. You you might be able to tell a difference. Not intermittently, not modestly or barely, but abundantly, abundantly. Lots of flowers, lots of color and beauty and vibrancy from a totally empty environment. There is nothing in the desert. No life, no color, no soil, nothing but sand. Even sand, it just looks bland. Tan, beige. Whoa. It's boring. There's nothing to look at in the desert. 
There is a kind of beauty to it, but it's an empty kind of beauty. It's vastness, but it's empty. But God is the God of life who fills our emptiness with his beauty and meaning and goodness in abundance. So friend, he can make your desert overflow with life. That's what he did at creation. Remember, what was the earth like in Genesis 1? The earth was without form and void, empty, filled with nothing. And what did God do? God made the sea and the sky teem with all kinds of birds and fish. He made the earth teem with all sorts of plants and trees and beasts and humanity. He filled every sphere with life, swarming things. It's always been an interesting verb in Genesis 1. God likes swarming things, but swarming things swarm in abundance, don't they? And what did he command humanity to do? Fill, fill the earth. He wants the earth full of little living images of himself. God loves to make the empty flourish with abundance. And the fourth unlikely thing God does is he refreshes the dry. He refreshes the dry. Notice the dry land. The dry land shall blossom abundantly with joy and singing. But of course, you cannot grow flowers without water, and you cannot sing with a dry throat. Sin dehydrates everything. It withers and cracks everything because it alienates God's spirit. But, Isaiah will say in a few chapters, God will pour out his spirit on the dry ground like water. And that is what will refresh everything. Everything. Now you may ask, everything? Everything? Everything. So where does God do all of this emptiness filling, dryness refreshing, animating work? Where does he do it? He does it in five unlikely places. He does it in our own hearts. I'm going to move in concentric circles from the inside out. He does it in our hearts. The heart is the total inner person, mind, affections, will. It is dead and dry to the things of God in its own sinful nature. It has no taste for heaven's joys. If the natural human sinful heart made it to heaven somehow, it would be bored and offended. It shows no promise in either learning the things of God in Christ or loving those things which it learns about Christ. The sinful heart finds the Bible boring, God bitter, Christ tasteless, the spirit elusive, and the gospel bland. 
The ground in the human heart is hard and dry and cracked. It's more like sand than soil or even pavement. God intends, though, to hydrate the human heart with the Spirit of Christ in every faculty, the mind, the emotions, and the will. He wants to water us, to soften us, to enrich us, to make us fertile for his purposes where we were only sterile towards him before. And he wants to do that in and through our personal communion with Christ. He wants our Bible reading and prayer to function as the means by which we relate to Jesus so that we become more like Jesus. He wants you to relate to Jesus so that Jesus rubs off on you. And you do that in Scripture and in praying Scripture back to him. He wants us to be with Jesus in Scripture. He wants us to look at Jesus in Scripture so that we become like him. And as we grow in communion with Christ, watered by the Spirit, we grow in Christ-like character. Our love can become more like his love. Patient and kind humble and considerate, forbearing and not irritable, self-forgetful and not resentful. We begin to bear all things from others since Jesus has borne so much from us. We begin to believe the best about how God might renew others and hope for the best in them. And when God's Spirit renews people, they become joyful because they're at peace with God and themselves and others. They grow in patience with the faults of others, by God's providence, they become kind, good, generous, benevolent. They become reliable in commitments made and kept. They rule their own thoughts and affections with self-control. That's how communion with Christ produces godly character like Christ, which then bears the good fruit of Christian conduct, renewed habits and priorities, initiatives, and responses, holiness before God, righteousness with others. And so Isaiah 35.1 is God inviting you to ask him to make your heart flourish through communion with Christ to produce Christ-like character and Christ-like conduct when your heart right now may very well feel like a desert. He knows it. And very often he makes you feel that so that you begin to want what he has been offering you. Like Adam, seeing the animals paraded in front of him two by two and realizing at the end of that first day, none of those look like me. Where's mine? God could have just given him Eve right off the top of the bat, but he didn't do it. He sharpened his desire for the gift that God was going to give him. And when you are dry, that's what he's doing. He's saying, you know what? I want you to want it. I want you to feel dry right now. I want you to want to open your mouth and drink. You need to feel it. You need to feel your need. And he does that in our hearts, and he also does it in our families. 
He does these unlikely things also in our families. Our family relationships are dried and brittled by our own sin against each other in our homes. We resent our parents' authority and rebel against their love. We imitate their sins instead of their graces. We argue with our siblings from pride or selfishness or coveting what they have or envying them for having it. Our spouses disappoint us because we seek in them what we can only find in Christ. We are easily irritated when our children take longer than we think it needs them to take for obedience to take hold. And our own anger only alienates them from us. And so we can become lonely even in our own families. The home itself can become a solitary wilderness if we're not careful. Friend, God sees your position in your family, whatever it is. And he understands it. He's compassionate. And he can make a garden out of that little private domestic desert. He can soak and soften your family relationships in his grace. He wants to do that. The gospel makes husbands gentle and humble leaders in their homes. It makes wives respectful and industrious helpers. It makes children obedient. It makes dads patient. And it makes moms kind. But it doesn't happen overnight because it's organic. It's a process. It takes time. It matures. And it's not going to be perfected in this life. But Jesus can make flowers grow in a desert. And Isaiah 35.1 invites you to ask God to make your family relationships flourish. He does all these things also in our churches. In our churches, our life in the local church can even get dry. Our worship can become perfunctory or performative. Sermons disappoint, songs drag, thoughts and prayers wander, favorite relationships get stale, dear friends suddenly move away, privileges feel like drudgeries, evangelism appears ineffective, discipling sometimes looks like it's not bearing any fruit, sins reemerge, services sometimes seem sparsely attended, empty pews sometimes seem to outnumber people, and sometimes we don't know how we are going to make it in the local church. And God looks at that and directs you to Isaiah 35 and says, it's no matter. It's no matter what you see. I know what you see. God can overcome all the emptiness that sometimes discourages us in our churches. The God of life renews pastors and congregations and whole denominations sometimes. The desert will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will. It is a promise. It is a prophecy. It will happen. It is a certainty. And so Isaiah 35.1 invites us to pray that this church and others like it will flourish with an abundance of new converts, spiritual maturity, leaders, servants, 
teachers, and all sorts of godly gospel activity. God will do this even in nations. He will do it even in nations. Our local neighborhoods often feel materialistic. Our clubs, leagues, associations, orchestras all seem like so many stages where self can perform and steal the glory that Jesus deserves. Our cities sometimes seem to be filling with crime. Our political leaders look corrupt. The moral fabric appears to be ripped to shreds. Our plausibility structures what looks like it can be true from what seems popular to believe militate against faith in Christ and Scripture. It doesn't look like from what you see in culture that you should believe in Jesus at all. It's just not believable if you operate on what the culture tells you. Global culture itself has concluded that God deserves no place in the world that he created. And yet God can irrigate even the most infertile public soil and enrich it for gospel growth in ways we cannot imagine and don't even know to pray for. And so Isaiah 35.1 invites us to ask the living Christ to resurrect the public discourse and reorient the global village Godward. Christward. But God's promise here is not merely spiritual. It is also literal, physical, even cosmic. He will do it in our cosmos. Jesus will one day replace creation's groaning with gladness. He will do it for all of creation. No more thorns, no more weeds, no more destructive weather, no more crying or pain, no more death or decay. No more Murphy's Law, anything that can go wrong will go wrong. No more frustration, no more absurdity of Ecclesiastes. Jesus will one day heal the whole universe of its sin sickness. And so Isaiah 35.1 invites us to ask Jesus to come quickly and make all things new. The desert will blossom abundantly. Deserts do not naturally bloom in abundance, but they do when God decides to send out his power and make them flourish. He is the God who brings water from the rock. And so pray that Christ would send out his power to animate the inanimate, to bring the organic from the sterile, to make the static dynamic to fill the empty with abundance, to refresh everything that is dry, and to make the thirsty thrive, no matter how dry they are. Let's pray again. Oh Lord, our hearts feel so dry sometimes. Our families feel dry. Our churches feel dry. The world feels so dry.
We live in a dry and thirsty land. There's no water. We need your spirit. We need you to make us flourish. We need you to animate us. We need you to fill our emptiness. Bring alive what is dead in us. Ignite our thoughts, our affections, and our inclinations to burn for Christ and for his kingdom. Make us rejoice. Fill our emptiness. Animate what is inanimate in our hearts. Give us a new faculty to understand and to love what you have revealed about yourself to us in your word and in your Son, Jesus Christ, for whose sake we pray. Amen.